Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the September 2015 podcast. I always think of September as being a fresh start, um, sort of the start of a new magic season. Um, and I always find July and August to be a very strange time for magic. Um, for me personally, as a magic dealer, it tends to go a little bit quieter. As most people are away on holiday or off doing other things outside. And the last thing they want to think about is magic, quite frankly, a lot of the time. Um, but once we get uh, past the school holidays and into September, then people's focus returns once again to more indoor things. And that naturally means going down the magic club to the magic meetings and just thinking about magic more generally, I guess. And um, after a fairly quiet summer, uh, September is often quite busy. And certainly I've got a busy week um, in the second week of September because, um, first of all, I'm going to be doing um, a lecture at the Kidology um, children's convention which takes place on the 7th and 8th of uh, September in the Midlands. Uh, it's a funny thing really because um, of course I'm, I'm known as a close-up magician and I do a lot of close-up um, but I've also um, ever since I can remember right from when I was about 10 or 11 years of age I've done children's shows as well and uh, and, it's, and I always think it's quite amusing when people say oh don't, I didn't know you did kid stuff. Um, which always seems rather strange to me, given that I that I sell in amongst my range a whole range of children's products, um, books, DVDs and, and tricks and so on. So I think some people are probably quite surprising. Oh, you're going to do a lecture at Kidology. And the lecture I'm going to be doing is um, about how to deal with older kids. So children of around about eight years of age, how you deal with them, the type of material that that you can use for them, how you can get away with entertaining them, quite frankly, because they're not the easiest of audience, as anybody who's tried to entertain them will probably um, testify. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I, I remember that um, when Kidology first started many years ago, I, I think I went to either the first or the second one uh, just as a dealer. And um, I thought it was uh, was very interesting because it takes place during the week. Um, and, and that particular occasion, um, it was just on one day. It was on the Tuesday. And I remember thinking at the time um, when Albion Magic and Practical Magic got together to organise this event, that it was quite a brave move to put it on a weekday rather than on a, on a weekday. Uh, uh, sorry, a weekend, I mean. And of course, the logic behind it was they said, well, you know, children's entertainers, as a general rule, are doing shows at weekends. And so it makes more sense to uh, have an event that takes place during the week when they're less likely to be doing shows. Now, given that probably a lot of children's entertainers are, are semi-pro, they probably have a, a like a regular job and then they, they do the entertaining at weekends, I still thought it was quite a risk to try and run something like that on a weekday. But uh, nevertheless, people must take time off there from their regular jobs in order to go to it because uh, and because there aren't that many events dedicated, certainly in the UK anyway, um, there are hardly any events dedicated just to children's magic. So I guess that's why it's been so successful uh, and why people are prepared to take the time off to uh, to go along to it. So I'm looking forward to doing the lecture there. It'll be uh, it'll be good fun and um, be good to uh, to sort of concentrate on something that isn't close up for a change. And then um, two or three days later, I'm going to be up in Liverpool doing my E-Club Pro live lecture for the Mahatma Magic Circle. Um, 
in the early days when I used to to uh, do close-up lectures starting way back in the sort of late 70s early 80s I went to Liverpool quite a few times with each time I brought out a new lecture and uh, John Mills who, who I knew quite well got to know quite well over the years um, he used to book me to go to Liverpool to do the the lecture for them but I haven't been for a while so I'm, I'm really looking forward to going back up there again and to uh, to presenting the eClub Pro live lecture for them I always think it's funny that, you know, you don't do any lectures for several months, then you do two in a week. Funny how these things go, isn't it? But uh, anyway, as I say, I'm looking forward to both of those. And if you're going to attend either of those events, then I look forward to seeing you. I was um, reading an article on Magic Week the other day by somebody called Elliot Hodges. And he was talking about um, the fact that he, he felt that in order for our magic to be um, incredible, uh, it had to be credible now does to make it unbelievable we we had to be as performers believable and it was quite an interesting article um, but there was one bit at the beginning which um i thought was uh, particularly interesting and something that i i hadn't really sort of rationalized about before and he was saying that when people a lot of people start off with magic what they do is they they just get hold of a few bits and pieces a few tricks because they want to entertain their family and friends and uh, and so that is the sum total of their ambition. You go to a magic dealer or you go online, you buy an item, you practice up quickly and you show it to somebody, basically. Um, and the idea of actually presenting it, of putting patter with it uh, and of thinking carefully about how you're going to put this trick over really doesn't come into it. Um, you you don't think about things like that necessarily, particularly when you first start magic. And that's why when you see perhaps a youngster uh, who hasn't been in magic very long, they might be technically quite um, able and, and good at per- literally physically performing the trick. But what they don't have is any personality, performing personality or any way of putting it across. Uh, and it's an interesting thing that I, I've not really sort of thought about this in detail before. But when you think about it, it, it's true, isn't it, that most of us start off with not thinking, hmm, I want to find something that I can um, uh, put across this amazing piece of presentation. What you do is you see a trick, you think, well, I want to do that trick. I want to be apparently somebody who can do this amazing thing. And it's only um, when you've been in magic a while that you start to understand, well, yes, the trick is great and it does something amazing. But in order for it to be a rounded performance piece, then it does need some presentation around it. Or at least it it does if you want to take it beyond the stage of it just being a novelty, just being something that people try and work out how it's done. And that's the sum total of it. How's it done? Not was that an entertaining thing while I was watching it? And I suppose in a way that's the difference between a, a, a total hobbyist who is just interested in tricks for the sake of tricks, always looking for something new, and the semi-pro or the pro, um, who are people who actually want to earn money with magic or who want to put together something a bit more substantial to go out and do shows. Um, I think anybody who has to perform a show, whether it's a cabaret show or a kid show, something that has some format and some length to it, realizes that you you can't just take quick tricks and just quickly do them all you do have to put something around them and um and the same of course with with close-up too um so i think it's actually quite important in a way to if you are the sort of person who wants to make the stage uh, to go on a stage from just well here's a trick isn't it it's a novelty nothing much more than that and you want to take it on to the next stage of 
giving people the feeling that this is real magic, if you like, then you do have to start thinking, who am I? What type of magician am I? Am I believable in, in, in the way I look and the way I handle the stuff? Is the presentation I'm putting with this commensurate with the way I look and with the way I am? Uh, are the tricks themselves part of an overall um, sort of presentation piece that that is entertaining and that people will want to watch? And I think once you get to that stage, that's when you start to look at magic completely differently. And the, the tricks themselves, while, of course, they're always important, as is always, you're always told, especially when you're a beginner, you're always told, well, you know, it's not just the tricks. You, you've got to, it's more than just the secret. You've got to do more to it than that. Well, that's for, I think it's very true. And um, and it's quite a quantum leap, I think, when you go from just doing using tricks as a novelty, uh, something to get attention to show your friends down the pub or something, taking it that to the next stage, which is making them into performance pieces. Anyway, very interesting article. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's Elliot Hodge's article, and it was set in, on a recent uh, um, Magic Week post. Magic's been uh, really good to me, especially uh, in terms of uh, travelling. Because I'm a lecturer, I've travelled, fortunately, all over the world to present lectures. And, um, and it's one of the, the fantastic sides of being a pro magician. Um, and of course, because I'm going abroad a lot, I, I need a passport, naturally enough. And it's a passport's a funny thing, isn't it? It's one of those things that you, you don't tend to look at very much. You, you know, you might look at the photo occasionally and think, oh, God, who the hell's that? Because it doesn't look anything like you normally. But um, you don't really study a passport because you use it so rarely. You just hand it over and take it back. And when you get home, you kind of shove it in the drawer. At least that's what I do anyway. And then suddenly one day I looked at it and noticed that it was going to shortly expire and uh, I thought, oh crikey well I'll, I'll have to have to get a new one so when I finally remembered to actually go and do it it's one of those things that you you kind of put it away in the drawer and you don't remember that you need to renew it until you get it out to go somewhere again you think oh gosh it's going to expire soon must get it renewed uh, it's a bit like windscreen wipers you don't notice they're not working until it's raining and you try to use them you think, oh windscreen wipers I meant to get those fixed you know it's that sort of thing isn't it Anyway, so I go into town, I went to the post office because they do a checking service for an extra tenner. They'll check through all your, your forms and your photos and everything, make sure it's all exactly right. So when they then send it off for you, you're guaranteed that the passport office will accept what you've sent in. And I think it's worth a tenner just to make absolutely sure that you get it right first time. So I go in the post office, the guy says, here's the forms, you'd like to fill those out. He says, they're not very long, you're only renewing, it'll take you a couple of minutes. He said, nip downstairs to the photo booth, get yourself some passport photographs, come back up here and I'll take you in the office and we'll get the paperwork sorted out. So I go downstairs, a couple of new photo booths down there, go into one of them, get the seat all. Then why do they have those seats where you turn them? Very unusual. I suppose, I know you need to go up and down for different height people, but it's rather unique, unique sort of seat. I don't know any other seat where you kind of revolve it and have to spin it in order to make it go up or down. Bizarre. Anyway, so I'm, I'm getting myself lined up, and it says it needs £5. So I had a £5 note, so I stuck it in, took the photograph, and it marvellous, printed them straight out, took the photographs back upstairs, filled out the form, and went into the office to see this guy. So he looked at the form, he said, that's all fine. And he looked at my photograph, and he said, oh, um, not sure about this. He said, you've got your mouth very slightly open. And your little piece of white tooth is showing. He said, um, they may not like that. 
um, because something to do with the way the photograph is scanned or something. It, it, it's, you, that's why you're not supposed to smile and show to... I think perhaps you better go down and take some more photographs. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll refund you your five pounds and then you go down and do it again. Only this time, make sure that your mouth isn't open at all. So he, he went to the till and he got me five one pound coins. So I went back down to the photo booth, went through all the rigmarole again of getting it all set up and getting the photograph ready to take. When I came to put the money in, you know that thing where you, you put coins into parking meters and the first two coins go in and then the others just won't. They keep dropping through. Well, I got to like three pounds worth in, but the last two coins just kept falling through and I didn't have any more on me because I didn't have any coins. So then I tried to get the money out of the machine by pressing the eject button and it didn't. It just basically kept the money. So now I have two pounds left, three pounds stuck in the machine and I don't have any others. So I come out of the photo booth, go back upstairs again, wait, finally get to see him. I say, this isn't going well. I said, sorry, but the coin, these two coins just won't go into the into the machine because he said, oh, yeah, that happens sometimes. Um, he said... Um, well look I'll tell you what he said I have to give you a five pound note you give me those two coins and I'll give you a five pound note now I'm starting to think hang on a minute um, am I down on the deal or am I up on the deal here because I started with five I put in the machine he gave me five coins I've given him two back he's giving me another five yeah I think it's right so he gives me a five pound note I go back off downstairs again go into the photo booth get all the seats sorted out, get it all sort of get it ready to take the photograph. It says put the money in, but when it goes to put when it says put the money in, it it says it only needs two pounds. Because the three pounds that I put in there earlier, that is apparently still locked in there and it thinks it's still waiting for two more pounds. Unfortunately I don't have two more pounds because he's given me a five pound note. So now I think, right, so I haven't got any coins. So anyway, I just stuck the £5 note in and got the photo out that way and decided that he could take the hit on the extra. (sighs) All I wanted was a passport photograph for a passport. You wouldn't think it'd be so difficult, would you? I was doing a show the other day for a special event um, put on for the learning disabled. And I was uh, performing a, a, a sort of show off a stage um, not just a raised platform and there was about 100 people there or something like that and I was doing a couple of half hour shows and um, it's funny because uh, most of the time of course I'm doing close up so I'm very close to my audience and although I, over the years I've done a lot of platform or stage work it, it never feels to me quite as relaxing as it does when I'm working up very close or at tables or for groups in pubs or whatever it might be but it's fine and um, it was going fine and then something happened and and this this happens very just very occasionally and it's i could never almost quite understand why it happens i'm doing a bog standard professor's nightmare trick and i and i use it when i go around tables because i think it's one of the greatest rope tricks for lay people you know just three pieces of rope is all you need it creates a quick visual effect um it's 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 very convincing it's a great trick hackneyed to magicians to lay people i think it's brilliant and i was doing that as part of my act so i'd stretched the the three ropes till they were all the same length and i was just about to unset them because i always end up by quickly changing them all back to the three different lengths and i was holding the ropes in my hand and i suddenly went completely and utterly blank 
I could not think how I neatly could sort of disassemble the ropes so i was going to end up with the three and i made a complete hash of it i dropped one of the pieces on the floor i had i had another piece the long piece which was supposed to be my left hand ended up in my right hand um didn't really matter to them but to me it felt like a complete shambles at the end of this trick so i had to do two shows and i was going to repeat the show uh, a couple of hours later and so um in this sort of interval if you like between the two shows i got the ropes and, you know, it took me quite a long time fiddling with the ropes to kind of remember how I unset that at the end of the trick. And it's a funny thing because I have literally done that trick forever. I've done it literally thousands of times. There aren't many tricks that I've done as many times as this. And yet all of a sudden I didn't know how to do the ending to it. And it brings up an interesting thing, doesn't it? And it's not just the fact that I'm going senile because I don't think I'm going senile just yet. It's something to do with, with the way that your memory uh, remembers things. Because actually, with most tricks that you do a lot, you, you don't really consciously think about what you're doing, do you? You've done them so often that it becomes automatic. And actually, your your brain has quite often basically disengaged from the process of how the trick is done. And that's why when you do it, that's why it's it's more relaxing when you, you do tricks that you've done often, because you can concentrate on the presentation. You can make asides to the audience. You can you can do bits of presentation because you have the brain space free to sort them out and to deal with them because you're not thinking about what your hands are doing. So what happens then is that because your brain has spent forever disengaging from the method, if you are suddenly forced to think about the method, you suddenly realise, I can't think what the method is. Because you haven't thought about it for years. You just do it. And if your automatic movements let you down, then it's... And you'll find... I'm sure people find this with card, certain card tricks as well. You can do a card trick the same in terms of the methodology again and again and again. And then one day you get to the middle of the trick and you think, what do I do next? <laughs> it, it is a weird thing uh, and I'm sure um, we all get it from time to time but I, I would never have believed that I could forget how to do equally unequal ropes Professor's Nightmare because it is it is such a, an easy trick to do and such a classic trick and one I've done so many times and yet it happened yeah it could only happen live couldn't it when, it's, when you're doing something when you're slightly out of your comfort zone maybe maybe that just fractionally threw me off my uh, normal rhythm who knows now, I mentioned earlier on in this podcast the fact that I'm going to be lecturing um, at uh, the Mahatma Magic Circle in Liverpool and also at the uh, Kidology Convention. But this month is also notable for me in the sense that I am launching the Mark Leverage Magic Academy. I've been trailing this now for two or three months as we're gradually getting the training room ready and it is now ready to go. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the first event, which is uh, brushing up on card counts, which is on the 12th of September. In fact, um, there are no spaces left on that now. So I decided to make a second date of the 19th of September, a week later, also available. Um, so if, there's, if you were thinking of coming to that, uh, you can't now come on the 12th. But there are uh, plenty of space at the moment because I've only just announced it on the 19th. Uh, and if we get anybody for that, then we can run, run a second one. So um, um, have a think about that. I think card counts are 
are something that we kind of take for granted uh, and sometimes we uh, we either don't do them properly or we don't have a total confidence if you don't do them all the time and then you can slightly forget exactly how they work and which one is which and the idea of this particular session is to to sort all that out and and to help people to not only learn four classic counts so we've got the elmsley the hammond the gemini and the jordan uh, and also three routines as well which i'm going to teach um, which will use um, the counts so that you go away with some magic too so if you go on to my website and look up the mark levish magic academy page um, it'll give you all the details there of how you can uh, sign up to come along um, Exeter's a lovely place to come to easy to get to by train and by motorway links and um, the session will start it goes 11 30 to 3 30 and i say there are places available on the 19th of september and i hope to see you there if you talk to any magic friends or colleagues who go out and do shows for money and you talk to them about um, getting paid after the show, most of them, if they've been going for any sort of period of time, will have stories about where the person with the cheque mysteriously didn't happen to be at the event. and So they say they'll send the cheque later and you wait months for it or any any other sort of all manner of ways of delaying the actual payment. Um, the difficulty of finding the person who's supposed to pay you. If it's a big event, you get to the end of your, your session and you, you think, oh gosh, now what did that woman look like? And uh, you're trying to find her in the darkness of a disco in order to get paid. And everybody's got a horror story of some sort or other uh, that has happened to them. And uh, and in my early days as a pro, I had those things too. All sorts of things had happened to me. And made me suddenly start to think, what? why am I doing it like this? I mean... I know the accepted thing is that somebody books you, you agree to go, you go along, you do the show, and at the end of the show, you get paid. Just because that is the way that most people do it doesn't mean to say that it's right. And I started to realise, I thought to myself, wait, hang on a minute, why don't I just get the fee in advance? You know, when you think about people, for instance, at weddings, um, things like the venue and the car hire and the flowers and, and most of the things that go on at weddings the bride and groom would expect to to pay probably all of it certainly a good proportion of it up front so i thought well why don't they pay for the magician in advance it's because they've never been asked so um several years ago i i decided that i would ask everybody to pay me at least seven days in advance i wasn't going to take a deposit but i was going to ask for the full payment no later than seven days before the actual show. And I, when I very first did it, I was quite nervous about it, really. I thought, oh, dear, you know, but people complain. Now, interestingly, I have never once had anybody think it was odd, question why I was doing it, not trusted me. They have all said, OK, fine. It was just part of the terms and conditions of the booking. Um, and it has been a fantastic relief to not at the end of every show to have to go through this rigmarole of, as I say, finding the person or having someone holding you to ransom. Yes, I'll pay you in a minute, but I'd like you to go and entertain that table over there for a few more minutes, if you wouldn't mind, because they're my special friends. Because people can do that. If you, if you, you know, you've finished, you've done your allotted time. Somebody can, I had that happened to me. I was literally held to ransom. She was holding the money in her hand and she said, well, yes, go and entertain those first and then I'll give you your money. They have all the power. Whereas if you've been paid in advance, it does several things. The first thing is it puts you back into control. 
Uh, it means that you can decide um, when you've finished, when you've done the allotted time, when you've done what you what you were contracted to do, and what you said you would do, and they can't make you do anything else because you've already had the money. Um, so it, it gives you a lovely feeling of control on the night itself. Also, if there's going to be a problem with the payment, you discover it before you go to the booking. Now, um, a, a lot of the time, of course, um, there is no problem, but occasionally there might be. And if you don't, if I don't receive the payment seven days before, I always send a polite reminder. Looking forward to entertaining for you next week. As you know, the fee is now uh, payable. You can pay in the following ways. Look forward to hearing from you. If you then don't hear for two or three days, then you, you, you ring them up. What's going on? Are you OK? Everything going ahead. So if there's a problem, if the thing's been cancelled, they've forgotten to tell you or there are any other hiccups. Um, you get to find out about them rather than turning up and discovering that the venue is empty or doing the job. And they say, oh, well, no, we cancelled you. You know, uh, didn't you get the email? Uh, all these things disappear if you get the money in advance. The other good thing about it is for your, from your cash flow perspective, because um, quite a lot of people, they don't just pay you seven days in advance. They may pay you months in advance, which sometimes can be very helpful. So I think from all points of view, I cannot understand why all magicians don't do it this way. I mean, yes, there's a little bit of admin and just keeping track of who's paid you and who hasn't, but it's not not difficult, is it? And it solves so many potential problems. Um, and so I can't think of any really good reason why you wouldn't do it. And if for some reason you, you can't do the booking at the last minute, you can always refund the money. You know, it's it's really not an issue and it does put you back into control. So um, I, I wherever I go, and this is one of my hobby horses about this, that I think some magicians sometimes don't like the feeling of having the money already. And then several weeks later, having to go and do a show and they feel odd walking away at the end of the show and not having that that sort of well done. Thank you very much. Here's your money moment. But personally, you, you, I have found that you soon get, you soon lose that feeling. It, it becomes the norm just to be able to leave when you want to leave, and gives you a freedom uh, to do the job properly, and but to do it under your own terms. You know what it's like. You're, you're about to to entertain some people, and when as soon as they discover that you're a magician, they say, "Oh, really? Oh, do you know what? I saw this brilliant magician once," and they then sort of launch into a tale about some other tremendous performance they've seen before they'll let you perform which is a bit intimidating but one of the things that uh, that i've noticed about that if you say oh that sounds brilliant can you remember the magician's name oh it was um and they usually can't uh, and i always think that's a bit of a pity if this person's made such a great impression but the person can't remember their name it's not redundant entirely but it's it's a bit of a pity isn't it and um, I, I like people to try and remember my name. Now, I know some people have very memorable names, magical names that they create for themselves. You know, Dynamo is a superb uh, example of this. Faye Presto is another one. Very, very good use of stage names that are so memorable. And people tend to remember those other a lot longer after than after they've you know sort of forgotten ordinary names. Uh, and my name, Mark Leverage, is not terribly memorable, um, although Leverage is quite unusual, I suppose. So what I do is I have, um, have some name badges which I had made and which I wear every time I perform close up. I've got one on my lapel and it just says Mark Leverage, Strolling Magician. 
And what's interesting about that is that when I'm standing at the table side and I'm entertaining people, I often see people looking at the badge, clocking my name. And then they start, when they talk to me, they say, that was great, Mark. Thanks very much. Um, And they start using my name, which helps them to remember me. Because all the time I'm standing there, they've got my name facing them. It's, it's the equivalent of, of the band that has the name of the band on, on the drum that's facing outwards. Or, or the, the magician who has a roll on table with his name plastered on the front. It's the same thing, only for close-up magicians. And if you have a badge on... Um, and the reason I don't have any contact details on it is, A, they won't remember them. And it's just waste of space on the badge. But also if you work for agents... They don't like you to broadcast uh, your, your details. Obviously, that isn't fair. Uh, but I do like to still wear my name so people know who I am. The other thing I do is um, I try to use my name uh, during a trick. Um, and I have various bits of patter, which I've sort of devised, which allows me, I, I call a trick. And I got this idea, I think it was off John Hatalka, who had a similar idea. And I always thought it was a good idea where you, you call a trick, I call this trick the, the Mark Leverage so-and-so trick. That's because I'm Mark Leverage and it's, well, it's my trick. And it gives me an excuse to say my name and to reinforce who I am. And I think if, if close-up magicians did that a bit more, then um, people would be more likely to remember them when they've seen them. And that can only be good for, for publicity, can't it? So there we are. That's the S- September podcast over and done. Thank you so much for listening. Um, the magic world is cranking up again. It's starting to uh, flex its muscles. So uh, if you're going to a convention um, such as the British Ring or you're going to go out to a lecture or you're just going back to the Magic Club, have a great month. And I look forward to, uh, to seeing you all hopefully back here with the next podcast next month in October. <laughs>